Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. Yellen speaks. The Dow at a record of 132 points to 21,541. That's a gain of six tenths of one percent. S&P up 18, a gain of eight tenths of one percent. NASDAQ up 65, higher by one percent. Treasuries up uh, 10.30 seconds. The 10-year up 10.30 seconds yield there, 2.32%. The dollar retreating after Fed Chair Janet Yellen signals the Fed will not rush to tighten monetary policy. Gold up 4.90 the ounce, up 4 tenths of 1%. West Texas Intermediate Crude up 50 cents a barrel, 45.54, up 1.1%. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. All right, Charlie, thank you so much. You're listening to Bloomberg Markets. It is 11.48 in the Bay Area and 2.48 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Megan McCardle, a columnist for Bloomberg View. Despite decades of talk radio hosts complaining about pointy-headed liberal academics, Republicans in 2010 were still pretty fond of higher education. 58% of them said colleges had a positive effect on the country, a number that stayed roughly steady until 2016 when, whoa, it started to go off a cliff, hitting a mere 36% in Pew's most recent poll. What happened? Thanks to smartphones, colleges have readily supplied conservatives with images of an institution that's not merely left-leaning, but actively hostile to conservatives, as angry minorities are allowed to shut down conservative speeches with increasingly raucous protests that eventually turn to violence, to which schools often responded by making it hard for conservatives to speak and giving left-wing bullies and thugs slaps on the wrist for their antics. The picture that emerges is an academia where orderly conservatives are unwelcome, but disorderly leftists are tolerated. No wonder conservatives' opinion of academics is falling. And if academia doesn't start cracking down on the abuses, it will fall further, endangering not just their social support, but their funding. I'm Megan McCardle, a columnist for Bloomberg View. For more commentary, go to BloombergView.com or view Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard every week at this time, also at 5.48 a.m., 8.48 a.m., and 11.48 a.m. Wall Street time, right here on Bloomberg Radio. That's right. The song is called Junk in the Trunk. Why wouldn't it be? Because the uh, auto sector is filled with some perhaps really lousy loans that have been issued in recent years that have boosted auto sales, but maybe uh, the, the the junk might be coming out of that trunk pretty soon. Joel Levington uh, joins us right now as Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Credit Analyst. Uh, and, Joel, the title of your most recent work was Love indeed it. Auto Debt, Maybe a Lot of Junk in the Trunk, <laughs> 2018. Yeah, white and <laughs> I'm, I'm all for it. Um, uh, explain to me uh, what's going on here. Sure. I, I guess the basic premise it goes something like this. Uh, the auto suppliers, uh, their bonds have lagged uh, hugely in 2016 and again in 2017. Everybody is concerned about uh, demand coming down, and there are a lot of headwinds that persist. And what I wanted to show people was that the last recession, if you look at 2005, 2000, 2006, or 2008 and 2009 timeframes, it didn't take very much to get high-quality investment-grade credit uh, paper into default inside of two years for some of the biggest names like a Visteon or a Delphi. And so we did some scenario analysis to say, like, if something like that happened again in 2018, what could that mean for the bonds and for our clients? What's the backdrop that might set auto debt kind of over the cliffs, if you will? 
Sure. Well, I think you start out with there's a huge amount of inventory, uh, you know, at dealers at this point. Uh, GM has 100 and day, 110 days worth of inventory. They're trying to get that down to 70 by year end. So cutting 40 days out of, <laughs> out of your uh, inventory base means there's going to be huge uh, cuts of, of production that's going to happen. And that is. We typically see those summer cuts, right? We always talk about auto factories, you know, shutting down for a couple of weeks in the summer. Is there something, though, extraordinary happening uh, this time around? Exactly, Carol. Uh, inventory is maybe 20 days higher than it normally is. It's actually even more. It's 40 days higher at GM. And, of course, uh, the suppliers are almost all uh, directly correlated or their sales are directly correlated to the OE. So if the OE is shutting down for longer periods of time, that's going to have a knock-on effect to all the suppliers, which are smaller in scale and less diverse and have tend to have more uh, financial leverage. The OE being the original equipment manufacturer, the OEM you're talking That's exactly about? right. That's Just, exactly right. I want to get so, you that <laughs> auto lingo out there. Well, uh, thank you, Carol. Um, uh, uh, translation is fine now. Um, a little woman's planning for you, Corey. Oh, jeez. Okay, I had to pause there for a moment. Um, so as, as, as we look at this, I mean, uh, this means all kinds of things for the the broader economy, right? I mean, you know, the, is there any sector to which the economy is more uh, uh, tied to, than, than the uh, auto sector? It, there are a huge amount of touch points, whether you're thinking about uh, – Things like uh, finance, if you're thinking about insurance, if you're thinking about manufacturing, if you're thinking about dealerships, it, it touches a lot of different uh, spots. So uh, after eight, uh, almost eight full years of growth, uh, it, it, I don't think it's a question of if it's going down. It's really a question of what is the extent that it's going to go down. All right. Hey, but Carol, maybe this is time for me finally to get a new car. Well, especially since, um, if you remember the story we heard earlier, I think it was uh, Nathan Hager talking about um, old Honda Accords are apparently what uh, car thieves like. So watch your back there, Corey Johnson, who has an old Honda Accord. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Don't no, but this is important. I'm thinking about for investors who are listening to the auto, you know, about what you're saying, and I also think about you've got the sharing economy going on, and you look at some of the longer trends that are going on, uh, switch maybe from you know traditional vehicles to electric vehicles. So what do investors need to think about when they're looking at this this sector? Well, I think the punchline that I was trying to to point to today is that if you look at the bonds, uh, they are all priced at or tighter than uh, what their credit ratings are. So if you're buying a bond or if you're holding that bond today, you're basically betting that what the rating agency has forecasted for a downturn is the worst-case scenario or or maybe better. Too severe? Uh, Which tends to be uh, not severe enough. Oh, got it. History shows if you look at, uh, you know, like Ford or GM over the past 30 years – Every time they're, they get downgraded, it's because uh, SAR uh, demand is going down. Uh, there's never been an upgrade while SAR is going down. So we know SAR is going down. <laughs> so, so just saying, like, the math doesn't really work very well. Uh, obviously, they could break their patterns. But if you have that at the uh, at the manufacturing level with a Ford or a GM, mm. the knock-on effect to some of these uh, companies that have 20, 30 percent of their sales tied to them right. is going to be pretty dramatic. This is where I think, you know, Corey, you pull up the supply chain function on the Bloomberg, right, and you look at how connected those auto companies and auto suppliers are. You will, you know, it's pretty obvious how much they could be hurt. SPLC well, and, 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 and we've been here, yes, you know, so it. I've been bringing this point up for a good year now, right? I read a comptroller of the currency report that sort of suggested that 60 percent of the loans going out to buy automakers 
and this, again, this is about a year ago, um, more than a year ago, that 60% of the loans going to automakers were, in fact, um, subprime in nature or extended durations of 60 to 72 months. And that just suggests that it couldn't go on for a while. But what you are saying is that this the, the, the pushback I've gotten has been, don't worry, auto loans aren't the same as home loans. The subprime lending isn't such a risk to the economy. But what you're suggesting is that maybe it is a big risk to the economy because we're, we're looking at an economic slowdown in terms of manufacturing that could result from this. Yes, and what I would also suggest, uh, Corey, is that loans are, are, are made with the uh, – loans and, and more importantly leases – are supported by what the residual value is, what the estimate of that value of that car is at the end of that lease. And if you think about 2019, uh, you know, th- there's going to be twice as many, I think about 9 million uh, vehicles that are going to be coming off lease, which is double the amount of 2015. So as you head out, and yeah, as Carol was pointing to earlier, uh, you know, with Volvo becoming uh, all electric by 2020, what's the value of a two or three year old SUV? What is the discount that you're going to wind up taking on that car versus what the underwriter wrote when uh, you might be in a world where uh, Tesla's Model 3 redefines, uh, you know, what value means to uh, to a consumer? What does it mean when Volvo is switching their uh, gears around and you're in a world of uh, autonomous driving? It would be fascinating to watch, too, if consumers kind of pull back kind of waiting, you know, with all of this. Um, great insight. Thank you. Much appreciating. And anytime we can say... A lot of junk in the trunk, Corey. It's kind of fun, right? I'm just trying to keep it clean. <laughs> Joel Levington, I was keeping it clean. And it's clean. not easy. Joel Levington, Senior Credit Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence right here on Bloomberg Radio. Da, 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 da.